Howdy folks, this is Scott Parker, and you're listening to another episode of Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast. It's uh, the end of July 2023, and uh, in this episode we have part two of our conversation with Melanie. Yes, Melanie Sofka. Um, we've waited a long time to talk to Melanie, and Melanie is just one of the most beautiful people on the planet, and um, no pun intended, but... Uh, it's kind of true, folks, and uh, you'll you'll hear she's warm, she's alubian, she's uh, everything you would ever want her to be, and um, she's absolutely incredible. She has a new album out, an archival release uh, based on a uh, an, an interview and in studio performance that she gave in Miami in 1975. It's called the Magic Bus. Um, she has a presence on Facebook and at Bandcamp, and um, there's going to be details about that inside the episode. You can go get a copy of The Magic Bus. We're going to hear a couple of tracks from that album here and um, uh, some bits from her Woodstock set, and uh, it's just going to be a really enjoyable listen for you, I really hope. And, um, well, I kind of know it is. So without any further ado, we present Melanie with a special guest appearance from her son, Bo, right here on Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Melanie, and uh, I hope it's okay if I ask you this, uh, in a lot of the early songs, there's a, a you, you kind of reference your mother a lot. And I was thinking, like, what an interesting dynamic there must have been between your mother and you, because, you know, there's Mama Mama. Uh, yeah. Look what they done to my song. Ma. I mean, there's all these songs, you know, and uh, tuning my guitar is another example of that. Right, and right. I wanted to ask you about that, because one of the things I've always been curious about for decades was how supportive your parents were of your career choice, um, because, you know, I'm sure that there are no parents out there that ever really believe that their kids are going to become, you know, internationally famous celebrity musicians. Right. I think parents were very sensible back then. (laughs) Discouraged their kids from embarking on a life that's pure hell. Yeah. (laughs) In so That's great. Um, <laughs> that why would they want to encourage their kids to do that? Uh, oddly enough, my generation is the parent that encouraged their kid to be the next Janis Joplin. Yes, you know, <laughs> and we have the rise of the school of rock. Yes, and this is the next Jimi Hendrix, and mm-hmm. this is the next Janis Joplin. You know, it's not going to happen. Not likely, no. It happens for some, but it's rare. I mean, there are performers every day who who make it. It's just incredibly rare because if you're the best one in your area, then you move to like a city like New York or L.A. or Nashville and you come across a thousand other kids who are the best in their area. And out of those 5,000 kids, maybe one makes it. Right. Yeah, I, I I think that also the other thing is just having the fortitude to go ahead with it, because as you were saying before, Melanie, you could have ran from Woodstock and it would have been a very different story. You could have just run and not right. played at all, but you did it. Yeah, 
I think um, actually you just brought a picture to my mind. I think, I think, um, was it country Joe who yes. ran? Somebody ran when they no, said Tim Harden. Tim Harden was Tim Harden. Right? Yes, he had literally, literally ran. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I can, uh, I totally get it. I totally get it. But I mean, you, you have no idea the most even veteran performers. And I wasn't. I wasn't a veteran performer at all. Um, I I sang. I sang my whole life, but you know, for school auditorium or something. You know, but sure. never, never for anything. And so, I mean, the the pressure that that was is unbelievable. Uh, I don't think I could do it. Now. You know, I think if somebody mm. because then I didn't even know. I didn't know about electricity, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I might have. I might have turned down that spot myself, you know. But but I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Sure, it, but it but, was kind of funny because you were doing shows like um, the TV show Beat Club in Europe uh, months before Woodstock. There's um, a set you did for them in April of '69 that's on YouTube. And uh, yeah, well, my it, career went off in Europe. Mm. It was, I was like, uh, the industry was, but you know, Europe then didn't seem real to me. It was, I was from New York. I was uh, an American, you know, I, um, it was, it was very unreal to be, to come off a plane and be met by uh, paparazzi, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It It was like, oh, this is funny. You know, this is really funny. But I never I didn't really it didn't uh, strike me that that this was real. There was something so surreal about that, that um, it didn't it didn't strike me that, you know, these are it's a life like we have, you know, it's just sure. But it, it, it's very um, it's easy to uh, kind of negate the importance of what happens in another country. Yes. It, it's almost like being in a movie. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, and uh, they had a whole different way of promoting. Like I would go out on these press junkets with, um, I was performing at the Olympia theater in Paris oh. with Jacques Brel, not Jacques Brel, um, Gilbert Becco yes. and um, mm-hmm. Julian Claire and, the uh, I think they called it the New York City Ballet. They had never been to New York City and they weren't ballet dancers. They were, they were like dressed in nothing but feathers, you know, yes. and um, and there were acrobats. And it was in that grand style of variety show. You know, um, I guess the closest we had to something like that would, was the Ed Sullivan show. But, yes. you know, they would have different kinds of a ventriloquist and a comedian and a, a dancer and uh, acrobats and things. This is a well, that's show. What this show was this, this um, Olympia theater was a variety in that grand scale. So Gilbert Becco uh, met me in New York and thought he wanted to present me to the French public. So he, we, we went 
you know, to, I was going to uh, I was going to be second on the bill to Gilbert Beco. Now this is a big deal, but again, it was so unreal. I didn't know who Gilbert Beco was, <laughs> but he's like he's like the Frank Sinatra of uh, Europe at the time. And so, uh, I mean, if somebody had said to me in New York, "You're going to open for Frank Sinatra," I would have died, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but saying I'm going to open for Gilbert Beco, it didn't didn't have that same uh, feeling of a super importance that it might have if I had been uh, if it was something that was in my reality. But um, again, I. I was second on the bill, Gilbert Beco at the Olympia Theater in Paris, and I didn't speak French. You know, I, I could speak a few words. I took French in high school, which sure. was pretty pathetic, you know. <laughs> um, I did not excel in, in French, and I knew how to tell people to open the window and close the door, <laughs> uh, things like that, but not, not anything that would get me through the day in Paris. And um, so I opened I, my first night and the reviews were astounding. You know, the, uh, one reviewer said I was Edith Piaf with a black soul. And, <laughs> you know, it was really amazing reviews. But, um, and Gilbert Becot came in to my dressing room that night. By the way, my dressing room, I shared with uh, camels because the acrobats uh, Arabian acrobats had camels with them and there were 12 of them and they their camels wouldn't fit in the room. So I was only one person and they put the camels in my room. And so I shared my dressing room with camels and um, I, <laughs> I I think it's funny. but um, It's hysterical. It's funny <laughs> looking back, but I didn't think much of it at the time, you know, except that I wore these Bedouin wedding dresses. And for years, like, there's nothing stronger than camel's pee. You know? <laughs> and get some of that on your dress, it's over, you know? So um, for years, my, my, I have that sense of camel pee on my, my <laughs> So um, I, I opened, I did very well, I, you know, and we would go out on these uh, press junkets where, mm-hmm. you know, the press there, like, that they would have people, you know, in midair with their arms spread out, you know, like in that I am a performer pose, you know, <laughs> and, and I would anything but, you know, I, I they said, well, do something, you know, and I, I, I didn't know what I could do. I. I wasn't going to jump and, you know, do a flip or <laughs> do a, a, a cartwheel. I mean, all these people are jumping around and, uh, you know, doing flips and being performers. And I was so not a performer. Anyway, the, the first before we uh, actually did the show, I um, the presenter, his name was Bruno Cocatrix. Mm. And Bruno Cocatrix had presented Gilbert Becot and when he first opened for Edith Piaf. And he had presented every famous uh, French 
artists at the Olympia. And um, he had um, an idea that Gilbert Bacoff thought I was pretty good. And so I sat down on my little chair. I, I had a straight back chair, not even a stool, not even a raised you know, that traditional folk music stool. I was, I always had to be on the straight back chair because I wanted my feet to touch the ground. And uh, <laughs> there I was and I started my song and, you know, halfway through the, the song, Bruno Cocatrix walks over to Gilbert Bacot and says, well, this, you know, he's making gestures and this is not going to work. Uh, the French, I know the French public, and the French <laughs> public is not going to like this. And and I'm horrified. I don't know what to do, you know. <laughs> um, so he, next rehearsal, he has this, this huge staircase was behind me. Like, like I don't know, I guess. Remember when Jackie Gleason had a a, a, a big show and yeah, there were yeah. you know, sure. glitter and glitz oh. and glitter and everything and so he had he said i know what we will do so he had the french the new york city ballet <laughs> dressed in nothing but feathers <laughs> um line the stairs on either side and the music would start to play the whole orchestra you know and i was supposed to come down the stairs with this music playing <laughs> it was some <laughs> sort of rhythm and I was I, I was I was totally at a loss I'm, I'm walking down clunking down these stairs you know in my boots <laughs> and what I normally wore my hair hanging straight down mm. you could hardly see my face because I had hair on both sides and bangs and nearly covered my eyes and I walked down to the bottom of the stairs and the last girl from the New York city ballet hands me my guitar. And then it all gets quiet. I walk over to my little chair and start <laughs> to play. And Bruno Kokatrix is like, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I know the French public is not going to like this. And Gilbert Rico is reassuring him that, there's something special and it'll work. And anyway, I I went on that night before the the, the first show. Gilbert Bacot came into my room and said, "Melanie, you must take the audience and fuck them." Huh? Huh? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and, you must take them and do what you like with them. And I mean, it was like, I, I'd never in my life, nobody ever talked to me like this. And I, I didn't know what to make of it because I only had one, one trick. And that was <laughs> to be me. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know anything else. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And I didn't know how it was going to happen. And so I I did the whole thing with the New York City Ballet coming down the stairs, which the next performance, they scrapped that all together. <laughs> that, did, that did not work. And the, so, sure enough, I came on stage, just me and my guitar. 
and I was just, I would do tuning my guitar and uh, tuning my guitar actually wrote in, in Paris when oh. all of this stuff was happening. And um, yes, there were people there and it was a big deal, but it wasn't real. It was very, very surreal. Yeah. And again, the reviews were amazing. But they were written in another language. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I could see my name, you know. I could see Melanie Edith Piaf <laughs> with a black soul. I knew noir, you know. I knew that it's... word. I, but uh, I, I didn't know what else they, they said about me. And then I just had to, I, this went on for forty days and forty nights. Wow. This was a long run. Mm. This wasn't a one night thing. This was every night, you know the. Olympia Theater, Paris, packed. And Julian Clare was, um, you know, he was way down on the bill, you know, next to the acrobats. But he became huge in in Europe. I mean, he's he's like, mm-hmm. like you know, I don't know who, Elvis. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, sure. But um, so I, I came home from uh, this sort of crazy Fellini movie. You know, it was a Fellini movie starring me. I was Giulietta Messina. Yeah. And and, um, and here I was. I had to go to uh, Woodstock, you know. And mm-hmm. again, I, I thought it was going to be anything but what it was. Never thought it would be history. Never thought I would be part of history. Uh as I'm fond of saying, I waver between historic and hysteric. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great picture of, of you and uh, uh, Gilbert Becco in uh, on on. Uh, you can Google it, folks, mm-hmm. if you're listening. There's a great picture of them backstage at the Olympia in Paris. Oh, I, I want. Yep, I got I it. You it. can't really see it, I but I've got it right it. there. Yep. Yeah, yeah it's right a there. Nice picture. Oh, wow. Gorgeous picture. I'll oh, send it to you, Melanie, if so, it's okay. We'll email it to you. Who 
Um, I'd like to ask another question, which, um, you know, bringing things a little bit more recently to a performance in 2007 that apparently got some very good reviews. Um, Jarvis Cocker of the band Pulp invited you to perform at the Meltdown Festival in London. Yes. So I'd like to ask how uh, this came to be and what was it like to work with him? Well, I'd like to say that I worked with him, <laughs> but it was basically... Um, he just named me. He liked whatever he heard and uh, just thought it would be a good thing to have. He presented me at the Meltdown Festival. And um, I, I thought we would end up singing a song or something together. But uh, that didn't happen. Um, again, you know, there's protocol. And I've never been good at it. You know, there's things that you should do and shouldn't do and should say and shouldn't say. And it's really amazing that anybody has ever heard of me because I'm sure I have stuck my foot in my mouth more times than <laughs> anyone else. And I walked when Jarvis Cocker came into my room, I said, what can we sing together? And he looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> was out of my mind, I, he said, oh, I, I don't really, I don't know any of your, you know. I said, oh, well, we could do something that 
we both know. Let's pick a song we both know. I thought people would really like that, you know, but that didn't happen. I don't know. I, I thought it would have been more, you know, I, I did a, a tour with Donovan and we always closed with Save the Last Dance for Me. Yes. And it really went over great because, you know, people like that. They like to think that, you know, the, the people they're watching are friends or something. Right. Yeah, sure. You know, have some sort of connection. And I was thinking that's what was going to happen, but it didn't happen. But it was really an amazing night. And I really thank um, him for uh, presenting me there because it was a boost to um, my visibility for sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I I'm a you know, actually, I, I really enjoy listening to that show. I'm a person who collects Melanie bootlegs and uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's lots well, although, of stuff out there for live performances. You can find her on Patreon these days. That's true. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh. Please, please join me on Patreon. Yeah. Yep. And you can buy my CDs and then especially the Magic Bus on um uh, band camp. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, you actually recreated um, not all that long ago. You recreated the entire Woodstock set. I did. Yes. Yeah. Some, I finally found out what I did. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had forgotten. Well, well you know, I'm sure. Yeah. My kids come to my concert and it's amazing how many um, diverse groups of people come to my shows. I had, I just did this thing and Megadeth came up to me and said, Oh, we've always really loved you. Really? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> That's wow. amazing. And I, I heard that there was some, uh, you know, Sid Vicious likes me and I, <laughs> like, so yeah. it's really strange. Marcy, Marcy is, um, likes, likes my writing and stuff. And, uh, but, you know, it again, I think it's because I've never really had a, a strong niche. You know, my mom was a jazz singer. Uh, oh, you had yeah. asked me and I don't been touched on it about my mom and me and all yeah. the songs yeah. I wrote with <laughs> just my mother. Yeah. And it's that uh, I guess uh, it was a very hard relationship. I, I'm starting to believe that girls are born to test their mothers. Yes. You know, <laughs> I, I really, I mean, it, it was like that. I had two girls, so I, I realized, you know, the thing, girls have a thing, want to either prove their mom completely wrong, you know, mm -hmm. about everything. <laughs> yes. And, um, and, you know, mothers want to impart what they've found out and what they know. And, you know, it, it doesn't seem to happen at the right time. I could sure use my mom now. Yeah. I could, you know, now in my 70s, the best thing would be if I had a mom to ask. But mm -hmm. uh, that opportunity goes away. And unfortunately, uh, it doesn't it didn't seem to work out. We had a very hard um relationship uh i actually ended up living her dream life 
You know, she really? was a singer. Well, she was a jazz singer and yeah. she sang in the village and sang with Sam the Man Taylor. And wow. uh, she never really, um, you know, emerged. Again, her personality was much like mine, a very, much an introvert. And, and she, she didn't like showy. You know, I, I came, my, my um, mother's side is Italian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, the kind of Italian that you don't show what, right. you know, anything, you, mm-hmm. you know, the wheat that grows highest is always cut down. Yes. That kind of Italian. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, here I was, you know, I became famous. And then my father's side, well, he was kind of on his own. He was like the capitalist. My father was the capitalist yeah. of the family. And I have memories of Sunday debates. And my father was always on the outs with the rest of the Italian side of my family. Sure. But, um, you know, I, as my mother was, you know, Italian and, you know, you don't, you don't, you're never showy and you don't. And Peter, my husband, who I married my father, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he, was, he was, you know, Ukrainian, Eastern European, you know, um, and he would say, guess what? Melanie has been chosen to be the, or the top singer of the blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I could feel the Italian side of my family seething. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not how you do it. There was a movie yeah. called Once Around. Yes. Did you ever see that with yes. Richard Dreyfuss? Yeah. Well, Peter was like Richard Dreyfuss. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the Italian side of the family was the Italian side of the family in Once Around. <laughs> and I could, I would always know you know, no, no, Peter, don't say that. Don't say that. And he'd say, why? They should be so proud of you. you know? yeah. My father my father was, again, I lived my mother's dream life. And once I remember she was doing a show and she said, would I come and, and do a song? And I, you know, doing one song was so strange to me because I, I build slow, you know, I'm a, yeah, uh, yeah, it takes me a while to, you know, be comfortable up there. So, but I decided, you know, I'm going to do it. I think I had just lost weight. I was excited about my new dress and <laughs> my high heels. And I, I, I got all dressed up and put a feather in my hair and had a perm. I think it was sometime in the 80s. And yeah. I was all full of myself and I got up on stage. And sang, look what they done to my song on. It would have made Gilbert Beco proud. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I did it. I did look what they done to my song. And the band was playing. And people were clapping. And it was really astounding. And I thought my mom is going to be so happy and proud. She didn't talk to me for three days. <laughs> really? <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, it's... But, you know, it was a strange dynamic. You know, again, uh, I can't even really explain it, but it was, I wish she was here so I could, so we could talk, but those days are gone. Yeah, I, you know, I'd always wondered about that dynamic because I think the second song of the Woodstucks, that was Mama Mama. Yeah. And um, 
you know, when you get something is terrible wrong, you know, like it's just yeah. if, if you did that, you know, if you had, um, you know, 18 year old Melanie coming up in the current climate, the way that young women today are able to uh, really speak their mind and get their um, feelings out in their songs in the way that you did. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, that that person would be extremely popular and 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 mm-hmm. wealthy because what you were doing back then was kind of in some ways ahead of its time. It's a precursor to what's going on now, because um, there were very few artists, not not just female artists, but just artists at the time who were so emotional and direct. And I think that that's what really caught on with that audience at Woodstock, for example, because there was a whole bunch of people there who had a lot of problems with their parents, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's, well, that's life as a teenager, but now the biggest pop stars on the planet are Beyonce and Taylor Swift, who are yeah. female singer songwriters yep. Yep. more Taylor Swift than Beyonce. Yeah. Well, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you what, that. <laughs> what what you what you did was really paved the road for them. Yeah. And that's pretty amazing, you know, because, uh, you know, and I still don't think there are too many people out there who who do it like you. You do it. Yeah. So, <laughs> who aren't afraid to do it like you do it is what I should say. Uh-uh. Yeah.
bit younger than these guys are so (laughs) i honestly was not familiar with your music beyond you know obviously candles in the rain and brand new key which hasn't been mentioned yet um i listened to the magic bus and uh i really liked a lot of those songs and it reminded me of uh you know i guess the i guess what you would call freak folk that was really popular in the mid noughts and it made me think you know you need the right producer. You remember how Johnny Cash guys back in the 90s worked yeah, with yes. Ruben? Yep, and, right. you know, more recently, Mavis Staples worked with Jeff Tweedy. You need yes. that person to to work with you. That's what I think. Uh, yeah, I, I think um, if not creatively, it, at least politically, you know, you need um, uh people are looking for statistics, you know? And um, I mean, you have someone who writes one hit record and then that is the only person who writes hit records for everybody, including Beyonce and everything else. Um, You know, it's not so much what they bring to the table creatively but what they bring to the table statistically. And I think um, a lot of people uh, don't understand. You know, they, they think, oh, there's the, you know, the big deal, such and such, and he's going to make her a star or something. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not so much what they do with the artist, although I, I think the best producers are people who let the artists do their thing, you know, pretty yeah. much. Yes enhance what they do not not try to take them and do something else i mean Mm -hmm. i certainly had the opportunity in my life in my career to take the advice of um a certain record people and um you know i would now be in a position uh maybe i would be doing better uh in some aspects but you know Keeping your, I, I guess it's a lofty word, but integrity, yes, um, yeah. is expensive. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's fair. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not looking for, you know, that person who's going to say, oh, so and so who just produced the biggest record on the planet sure. is working with Melanie. Eh, so what? <laughs> no. Now, yeah. well, there's a question, though, Melanie, can somebody do what you did when you started out like a, a young person today? Or do they have to be part of that machine? Well, is it possible? my answer, my quick answer is absolutely not. But yes. then my my analytical uh, answer is absolutely. You know? Yes, because you probably <laughs> will not be heard if you're um uh but th- there are exceptions. Um, do you know, uh, he's a, a singer and he writes, his, Ren, do you know Ren? Yes. Yeah. Hey, yes. Ren. I, I, I think that's a, a, a little ray of light because he's actually a really talented person. Um, whereas so many of the people that you've actually mentioned, I don't see that. 
as as amazing talent. Uh, sure, sure. I see it as, as social media skills, um, PR skills, but n- not, you know, they're n- not something that's going to add amazing f- fulfillment to people, you know, whereas I, I think this guy, Ren, is pretty amazing. And I, um, I'd like you to check him out because uh, you already know, but he, he has his own thing. And I'm sure he has been offered uh, to do things that are not feel like authentically him. Yes. And I'm sure yeah. he has turned that down. And uh, which to me is, you know, a sign of something good happening. Yes. Yeah. I think people love him. So, I mean, he's definitely, you know, uh, cornering uh, that kind of area where people want something real. They want something real. Yeah. They don't care if it's mental illness. <laughs> they don't yeah. Care, <laughs> they don't care if it's whatever it is, but it has to be real. There's so much shock and jive and rigmarole and, sure. you know, well, doing the thing that they, they, that will make them, I mean, you know, they sell their souls to the devil and uh, it yeah. works, you know, it works, but I, I wouldn't want to be that person because you have to live with yourself. Oh, and then right. some people sell, who sell, take it back. Like I know when I saw you at the turning point, uh, I think, or one of the times I saw you at the turning point, you covered Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus because she covered you. <laughs> yeah, I I covered it. Well, yeah, we did it. We did it as kind of a tongue in cheek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but she, um, she recently met- said she's not going to tour anymore because it's not her and she's not feeling it. And that's what she wants to do. Right. When was this? Just last in week, last, I think it was. In the last week or two, she said, I'm not going to tour anymore. At least Aww. not yeah. for now. Well, I think there's a very authentic Miley in there. And um, I, I mean, I know nothing. I know nothing. I, know. I just, you know, I sang with her. We, we connected in some way. But um, I think there was, she, she definitely doesn't want to be perceived as, you know, a country bumpkin. And yeah, so, yeah. understandably, go as a rea- become reactionaries to the thing that uh, they don't want to to be perceived as. I mean, I did it myself. You know, when when uh, at the beginning, I was you know everything. I was smiling. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in an era when you know the brownie camera parents had their cameras and they aim it at their kid and the kid would be told to smile mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and that's what I did my whole life. I smiled. And then um, there was a, a point where, you know, you don't smile. You have to be angular and angstful and yes. Serious. And um, <clears throat> so, but I, that I, I didn't, you know, think about things like that, but uh, I think sometimes uh, after a while, when I would just be, perceived as this smiling, blissful person with little significance or social commentary or relevance. I, I wanted to become perceived as 
was something that was much more uh, relevant. And uh, I started wearing my underwear on the outside, you know? Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I had a, a, a I'm going to get a bustier, you know, and yeah. do things like, and I went on for the United Nations and I, I don't know what got into me, but I pulled off my Bedouin dreading dress and I jumped into the pool. The stage was set around a pool thinking somebody must have photos of this. Thank you, Nevrad, to see them. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, again, there was like, there's a defiance, you know, I guess, um, you know, just having to be a clown and a juggler and be an entertainer. I've always uh, ridged against that term entertainer. I'm, I don't know if I'm an entertainer, but um, I, I, oh, yeah. I, you know, I hope I bring oh, out yes. people out of their whatever, a little bit, bring people to a higher place than they were before they got into the room. And before well, you, you definitely bring joy to people's lives mm -hmm. and you've definitely yes. your own person and you've done things your way for most of right. your career. Yeah, I definitely did things my way. <laughs> no. Yeah. Again, uh, you know, the, and it was rightly or wrongly. It's you. Like, right. Right. You know, I, I again, I could have been a little more diplomatic um, uh, just in some areas and. Uh, I, it's not like I was rude right, or right. anything, but I could certainly uh, played along with certain things that happened. But uh, if I sensed, I sensed an invasiveness about the way somebody wanted to present me or something. I, I, I always shied away from that. So I was just saying that comes back to the that idea of authenticity, you know, staying true to who you are. Yeah. And I think um, I really think Miley uh, was questing for her authentic self. And um, yeah. right before right before she did Wrecking Ball, she was uh, doing these backyard sessions and all kind of granola oatmeal, you know, cookie yeah. right. person. She, and um uh, she was going to marry this guy, and and it, it looked like Miley was going to lead a nice, peaceful life and do the music and concentrate on the music. But then this weird thing, and uh, her her manager at the time, you know, he, he I question these people. You know, they they have a an amazing amount of control over the artists that they work with. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the people like Britney Spears and Miley Cyrus, and they, they, there's, they seem to listen to this uh, other dark voice, you know, that yes. pulls them away from who they really <laughs> are. But I, again, I know yeah. enough. I only know that um, I, I sense there's a very authentic Miley Cyrus in there somewhere. But yeah. Um, Maybe she needs some time away from all of it. But, no, that, that's the yeah. only reason I brought her up is because I think she is authentic and she's trying to do what's best for herself or what, you know, and what she feels. Yeah. Great singer. 
and uh, you know, I I think um, you know people pull in the strangest things <laughs> yeah. when yeah. Uh, when they're looking for their authentic selves. But um, but you know, it's very hard to uh, look if if you do a, a song and it sells gazillions of records and everybody knows who you are and you're on the cover of everything and yep. everybody wants to talk to you. That's a hard thing to turn down. Yeah. Cause like, like I said, you know, I wanted to be, I was Santa Claus when I went to Powder Ridge, Sure. you know, <laughs> everybody wants to be Santa Claus. That's true. You know, the the center of the human campfire, you know, it, yes. who doesn't want that? You know, it's, it's uplifting. People are, you know, they're they're balanced on your words, you know, and you think I'm actually meaning to I'm actually having have a meaning. Now, you said um, at one point during this talk that uh, what did you want to do you know like what were you going to do if you didn't sing or something like that and I was what I wanted to be was an archaeologist oh really I wanted to be an anthropologist or an archaeologist I had deep interest in why you know why things happen why do we go to war what what's the dynamic what happens why do people fall into the same trap over and over and over again. And I was always a quester for, for things like that. And, sure. um, but the, the problem was uh, I hit a stumbling block with math. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Is, I had a, they, they kept saying, oh, she has a really high uh, IQ for, for math. And she's just not applying herself. And it wasn't true. I just, it did not click, you know? And um, so if they only eliminated math, yes, uh, <laughs> I could have been a great archaeologist. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you are not the first person felled by algebra. No, yeah. Yeah. no, no, you're, you're, you're not the first on this show. Trust me. In case any of you are just joining us. Right now in the studio with us is Melanie. Uh, a surprise visit, one hundred percent surprise. Um. Well, I was born between the signs. I got some time, so hold me, Mister. What's been on my mind? Keep on holding me, hold me. I need everybody. Help me while I'm feeling down. You got what I haven't found. Keep on holding me.
I lived a blessed life Homegrown food and Christ on Sunday In another lifetime one day That is where I'll be Hold me, I need everybody Help me while I'm feeling down You got what I haven't found Keep on holding me Hold me, I need everybody Heal me in your nice light sun Until I'm center of your circle Keep me hanging on Blessed life, homegrown food and Christ on Sunday In another lifetime one day, that is where I'll be Hold me, I need everybody Heal me in your nice light sun Until I'm center of your circle Keep me hanging on Hold me, I need everybody Heal me in your nice light sun Until I'm center of your circle Keep me hanging on Center of your circle, keep me hanging on. I tried to ask this question earlier. My phone cut out. Tell us about your kids and their their careers. Oh yeah, they got. I I think um, I always assumed that they would sing. You know, I I don't even know. I didn't. I didn't, again, I, I wasn't encouraging it. Um, when yeah. one of my daughters wanted to be a vet, I thought, well, that's good. You know, <laughs> that's, you know, safely out of harm's way. Yeah. Because again, you know, you meet people who are bad, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's some bad people. They get attracted to the music business because they know that they can, uh, they can manipulate someone who has big effect on a huge population. So yeah. they somehow get drawn to that. And I'm right. not going to name names, but uh, sure. although I'd like to, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that it, it, it's amazing that it's, it's a real small percentage of uh, the people the music business does attract some wicked elements. Oh, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really want my kids to have to, you know, do that. And um, Layla was my firstborn, and yeah. she always wrote songs. My second daughter, Jordy, she's out in Arizona. Yeah. She plays out almost every night. She's singing right now somewhere at some, wow. some venue out there and either Tucson or uh, Phoenix and uh, you know, she endures and they both do, but uh, they, they were, uh, you know, I, I kind of wanted them to be 
find a career somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a hard life. And, um, you know, I, I told my first born daughter, she went to this, um, this uh, meeting with the biggest deal, uh, Mr. Big, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Big. yeah. Mr. Big in Nashville. And, yeah. and she said he, he was just, all he was doing was pointing out these different girls who were, you know, 10 years younger than me and they had just signed. And I said, Layla, they just want to see if they can make you cry. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a powerful position for some of these bastards to be in, you know, and um, they're definitely going to come up against it. And so I, uh, they both still do it. Uh, I've never been um, my, my son. Now we've worked together nonstop since he was born basically. Yeah. yeah. And um, we write together and, He's like a virtuoso on the guitar, and yes, yes, he is. During the during the whole pandemic, lockdown, whatever, um, he really uh, schooled himself in engineering. I mean, he immersed himself in mastering. He's a mastering engineer. He knows how to refurbish um, archival. That's what he did on the Magic Bus. He he. Yeah. So you can hear the, the questions that the um, we want to do an online show uh, having to, to do with the magic bus. We were thinking of um, having the interviewer ask the question, you know, how many years ago, 50 years ago or something. Yeah, sure. And then I'll answer it. Of course, I answered it then. But now yeah. I would like to answer it now. Right. Yes. What we come up with, you know, I thought that might be an interesting thing to do. And Curtis uh, Schwartz passed away just weeks ago. Wow. And um, mm. I was I was devastated because I didn't want to present him with a, a copy of this. Yeah. But I, that's the reason I know I I had a connection with Curtis Schwartz passed away. Robert Ridgely, the man who got me into the Hollywood Studio Club for Girls, I never met him after that. Yeah. I never never got to see him after that. But I took um, this was an embarrassing thing. I I was told that um, they wanted to use my song in Boogie Nights, and yes. I yeah. had no yeah. idea. They said there'd be no explicit sex during my scene. Oh, during and your I, scene, yeah. I, I believed them. <laughs> but I, And I took my son and, like, four of his friends to the movie. And we're sitting there, and out comes the roller girl. You know? Yeah, brand new and key. Brand new key. And that's me singing. <laughs> I'm in the nude scene <laughs> with wow. plenty of explicit sex. And the yep. boys are like... They're they're in, in the row right ahead of me and they're sniggering, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. We left the movie theater after it was over, and I said, Promise me you won't tell your parents <laughs> that I took you to the movie. So, so you and, so you helped but, a couple but, of Bo's friends get through puberty. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, um, at the end of the movie, and the credits were rolling, I saw something that just made my stomach fall. It was Robert Ridgely when he was born and when he passed away. So oh, he passed yeah. away during the making of that movie. And I, again, I never got to tell him that I was Eve Dane. <laughs> <laughs> you think he ever figured it out? He must. No, I don't know if he ever knew. I don't know. I I have no idea. That but is it wild. Was, that was such a strange thing to see that up on the screen, you know, and and a thing with Curtis Schwartz where we were to release this magic magic bus, and he was had passed. So it's it, it's it's a great album. Yes, it is, and we Brilliant. we enjoyed it. And you can find it on Bandcamp under look for Melanie and the magic bus is there. Although we, we assumed it was, you covered the who's song <laughs> on that. Yeah. But yeah. Given, but given that it was WBUS in Miami, we understand why you called it the magic. Yes. Bus. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and people Get can find Melanie you cover. on Melanie. Mu well, is it Melanie's music or Melanie music? Oh dear! Uh, hi, Bob. You have a website, and I know you send out a newsletter. Yes, I I, I send out emails and newsletters, and I have very little to do with it. But I, but what's my um? What's here? Give them my social media. Hey, right how are you? Y yes, thank you all for doing the interview, Mama. Um, yes, well, our email. No, not our email. Not our, the email. Our, the website. Yeah. The website, oh gosh, um, her website is sort of, right now it's mostly Facebook, and even that is a question. We're trying to figure out why she's not getting through all the people. But anyway, um, her Facebook is, I believe it's, let me see, I think it's, I can actually send you all a link. Um, okay. we, we, know, we know if you, if you search for Melanie Safka on Facebook, you can find her. She's on Instagram. But she's also on Patreon, and you can support her and get access to all kinds of things on Patreon, and you search for Melanie Safka. And, of yes. course, she's on Bandcamp, where you can find the new album, The Magic Bus. Awesome. Oh, thank you, Jack. Really appreciate you, man. Thank you. Good to see of you again. Of course. Good to see you. Great to see um, you guys. Great to see you both. All right, man. Awesome. Thank you guys and, so much. Of, of course. Such a pleasure. And of course, any on upcoming shows, which you, you seem to do from your house these days, but you may get out here and there, but you could follow it all on social media. Yes. And yes. if you let us know, we'll let our listeners know. Great. Yep. Great. That's great. Yeah, I'm going to have an online show soon with the Magic Bus. We'll definitely let you know, Jack. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, Hearing the news is my favorite song on, oh, on, the, on your yeah. news. Yeah. Yep. It's almost prophetic, isn't it? I mean, yeah. It, it seems like it was written now, you know? It's just wild. Yeah. A yeah, lot everything. of those songs are like that. You know, they're very, yeah. they're very much, um, 
you know, as I, I was saying before, like a, ahead of their time, like they could be written now. And, yeah. you know, th- it would be just fine. It's something that everybody can relate to. Any guy, I, I mean, I love the whole album, but those were my favorites, to be honest. Thank you all for supporting my mom, really, man. And oh, absolutely. You. Oh, it's our oh. pleasure. We you, love her. We, we we love you. We love your mom, and we and we love you too, Bo. Love you, very off. Oh, love you guys. Thank you, uh, thank you, Jeff. Bo. Yeah, Bo. I tend to think of her as a deity in action on this earth. Oh, yeah. That's oh, the way I've always looked at her. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Right on. All right. That's beautiful. Oh, cool. Woo. Yep, yes. she's our right favorite. She's our favorite, and we're we're beyond honored to have you both yeah. here. Like we really yeah. are. Thank you both very much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Love y'all. All right, love you too. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Melanie. Right. It was an honor. Thank you, thank, thank you, Melanie. Melanie and both. Pleasure to meet you. Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Love you guys. Love you yes, too. Bye bye.
farmer, I'll eat what he grows. He knows what is going down. I know what he sees, and he sees what he knows. And I know where I'll be when he's gone. No. Waiting for seasons to change. Nowhere, sitting on nothing of your own creation. Waiting for seasons to change. Waiting for seasons to change. Don't you know? That's our show. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast, was produced and edited by Scott Parker. Your hosts were Jack Lekensky, Johnny Hudson, Aaron Shear, and Scott Parker. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast is not associated in any way with Woodstock Ventures or any of its entities. Come and check us out on our Facebook page. The group is called Keep the Dream Flowing where we keep you updated on various things that we're doing and give you a heads up when there's a new episode coming. So check that out. On behalf of all of us here at Keep the Dream Flowing, this is Scott Parker saying thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.